All right, so I guess we we are we are live. So Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for lean whiskey, lean talk with a fun spirit. Welcome, welcome everybody. I guess this is the official start. This is the start of our experiment. This is episode 15 of the Lean Whiskey Podcast. I'm Mark Graven, and we also have... And I'm Jamie Flinchball. And I guess you know that if you're watching and you see our faces and our names together here on screen, but this is definitely an experiment tonight. This is our, our first video episode. This is also um, our first live streaming episode. So uh, gosh, I guess part of that experiment is A, will my internet be strong enough tonight because people are now starting to watch Netflix and whatever in our condo building. And I don't know what happens if you throw a live broadcast and no one shows up, Jamie. <laughs> well, well, it'd be the same as the rest. Uh, we, we talk to each other and have whiskey. Um, uh, so I, I think the, the 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 bottom of the experiment isn't isn't really that bad of a bottom at least for us yeah well hey we we have at least two people here we've got Bradley Miller we've got Chris Burnham so thank you and uh, and cheers and thanks thanks for joining us so um, we'll we'll uh, ask the live attendees feel free to submit questions using the chat box on the uh, the live broadcast here uh, Jamie and I plan on on spending more time on Q and A. We're going to spend a little bit of time chatting, a little bit of time on whiskey. We're going to talk about what lean, uh, what our work life means to us right now. And then sort of, instead of news stories and other things, we're going to do more Q&A back and forth. Right, Jamie? Absolutely. Yeah. So we we have a little less, I guess it's really three uh, experiments in one since we have a little less uh, structure and, and preparation on this one since we're planning on responding to questions. Um, now, these aren't our last experiments. These won't uh, are our first experiments, um, but uh, I thought it was an appropriate time to to give it a shot. Yeah, and instead of a shot, we're going to be sipping our whiskey as usual. We right? we we heard neither one of us are shot uh, downers. We're we're generally whiskey sippers or drinkers or tasters uh, in in that regard. So Jamie's already poured his. I was going to pour mine on camera since we have that option. And we'll, we'll talk about what the others are drinking. But before we get to the pour, you know, I'm sitting here in um, Florida. Liquor stores are open as, quote unquote, essential services, which, I mean, I guess I'm stocked up enough. That, that's kind of interesting to me that that's considered essential. But what, what's the situation in Pennsylvania, Jamie? Yeah, so Pennsylvania, we have uh, we've done shelter in place uh, county by county. So we were pretty early because we we were fairly near um, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, so we were you know right after California, I think, in terms of the shelter in place. But it it, it did include liquor. Now Pennsylvania is you know known for the blue laws, and um, and uh, so we we didn't always have the most liberal liquor policy as it is. The liquor stores themselves are all state owned, uh, but yes, they are they are closed. Um, uh, now we are only ninety minutes from the epicenter where I live, um, so yeah. I don't know if that's a reason to take greater precautions. But uh, there's always ordering online, which I haven't haven't done yet because, like you, I am I am quite well stocked to start off on. <laughs> yeah. Um- you know, here in Florida, there's been a lot of uh, talk in the news about people flying down from New York down to their second homes. Now, I'm in Orlando. There might be more people along the coast and down in South Florida. But um, my, my wife and I have been um, staying at home. I've, I've tried to really limit the grocery store trips. Um, we're, we're, we have tried, though, to support a couple of local restaurants that are now in takeout food only mode. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to strike a balance between staying home and, and, and trying to stay safe versus going out rarely, but trying to do so in the smartest way that we can. 
Yeah, we're, we're, you know, family of five and, and uh, at least I have one of those underlying conditions they list. So we've, we've been a little more uh, conservative when it, when terms comes to going out, just not taking any unnecessary risks. Um, and uh, you know, I actually went out only to the uh, pharmacy today uh, for routine pickup, but it's the first time I've run an errand myself uh, in about 18 days. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're certainly, you know, buying groceries and a few things like that where we can. Um, but largely just, uh, you know, we're, we're hanging out at home, uh, doing our thing as a family and, uh, um, school started again today, which was nice. Um, now, I mean, school at home, but, yeah. uh, at eight 30 each day assignments drop, um, uh, their, their, the role is that's, we want our kids all to start at 8.30 or at least close to it. We can't do anything else until all their schoolwork is done. Uh, it doesn't take them the full day, but then that's, that's, it's very clear that's the first priority. So, yeah. um, so that's, that's probably the biggest dose of added normalcy that we've had since we, since we started this. Yeah. And, and my wife and I, we don't have any kids, but it's, it's the both of us working from home. I'm here in a bedroom office. She's um, taken up, um, office on uh, the couch out in the living room. Um, but yeah, you know, things have been very much closed down here in Orlando. It's been shelter in place for a couple of days. So liquor stores are open. I'm sorry to bring this up, Jamie, because I don't know you probably take care of this with, with the razor blade. Um, barbershops are closed. So my hair is getting to be longer than it has in a long time. Yes. I've, I've talked to a few people that suffer from that, uh, suffer from that problem as my, my kids are, um, and my, my older son declared he wasn't going to shave until he went back to school. So we'll see what happens there, but no, I don't need a barber. It's been a long, long time for that. But, uh, yeah, those are the, you know, I think somebody said, uh, in a few weeks, we're going to find out everybody's natural hair color. <laughs> yes. I've, I, my, my wife and some of her friends were talking about that on a, uh, kind of zoom happy hour, the other night. Um, so it's part of our, our new reality, but Hey, we, we have our health. So, um, cheers to that. And everyone cheers. Who's, who's, who's doing okay. So, um, maybe we'll, we'll talk about whiskey for a little bit as we usually do at the start of the podcast. Um, so Bradley Miller posted that he's drinking uh, a Glenlivet 18 with a, a, a large clear cube and, and, and knowing Bradley, uh, He's probably got good standard work for making that super clear ice cube. So maybe I'll have to <laughs> ask him about that sometime. And uh, Chris Burnham is drinking a really nice Irish whiskey, Redbreast 12 year. I don't know Irish whiskeys that well, but Redbreast is is one that I've really enjoyed. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I've had I know I've had it, but uh, I don't think I've ever had a bottle at my house. So um, I've had a few... Um, Irish whiskeys in and out of my collection. Uh, Yellow Spot has always been one of my favorites, but yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think I've had the Redbreast 12 year. I probably had a, a, a cheaper version of Redbreast at some point at a restaurant, but um, yeah. And we hope if there are other people on the chat, uh, they, they share what they're drinking if they are um, by no means a requirement. Um, <laughs> right. But we, you know, we decided as we do pick a theme and since we're sheltered in place, our, our theme is sheltered in place. So we're going to drink Pennsylvania and, and Florida whiskeys. Um, yeah, we'll keep it local. We'll keep it local. So, um, yeah, so I'm drinking uh, Dad's Hat, which is a, a, a Pennsylvania-based uh, rye distillery. Do, do you have the bottle? Don't forget we have do, the Yes, I actually do have the bottle. <laughs> Take advantage of the medium. Take advantage. So there's the... There's the bottle. Um, and so I, I went on a trip to, to visit them uh, in person because there's only one variety that I've ever seen in the store. Um, and, and so I, I walked away with the three bottles of, of different dad's hat varieties. But um, so this is the bottled and bond straight rye whiskey, um, hundred proof. Um, now these guys are, uh, there's been a lot of rye coming up, but a lot of them do a lot of tempering of the rye spice with, with a lot of corn mash and, mm -hmm. and uh, maybe some malted barley. But these guys go really back to some, you know, I'll say 
traditional Pennsylvania values when it comes to producing rye. So they're, I don't know if it's their typical or their only grain bill, but they do 80% rye, which is high even for a rye, 50% uh, barley malt and 5% rye malt. Um, this particular one, they aren't all aged five years, but this particular one's aged five years, which you know, does make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right outside Philly in a town called Bristol. And interestingly, I don't know if they get all their, their rye from this farm or, or just the bulk of it or some of the new stuff. Um, but the farm that they use to, to, to get most of their rye from is about a mile from my house. Um, oh, wow. And uh, so I, I, haven't, I haven't spotted which it's on the road it's on is there's plenty of farms. So I haven't spotted which farm exactly it is, but uh, um, I am going to have my eyes open to see uh, yeah. exactly where it comes from. But it's it's pretty uh, pretty refined. I think the age the age helped. Um, even though it's a hundred proof, it's really not a ton of heat. Um, you know, it's not it doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks, um, like a lot of hundred proofs will. Uh, it's got plenty of that you know that spice that you expect from a uh, from a rye, so it's got it, it's got very good traditional uh, rye flavors, along with you know some some fruit without the sweetness, you know, so not as much sweet fruit that you get maybe in mm-hmm. a, in a in a in a bourbon, but uh, you get some you get some fruit in there. At least I do um, as well. But it's it's you know ever since I got it, I, I've enjoyed several ryes. I really like the Whistle Pig. Um, yeah. But but I have to say this this bottled and bond dad's hat. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's it's one of my top ryes for sure. I, I'll have yeah. to I'll have to go back and get some more. Yeah, and uh, a lot of the trendy bourbons in the last couple of years have been the bottled in bond selections. Um, they're always fifty percent ABV or, or one hundred proof, and there's kind of a long, interesting history about. Uh, bonded warehouses and bottled in bond and like not, not having to pay tax on it, I think. And it's all got to be made in a single year. I think that's yes. one of the other rules. Definitely one of the rules. Um, Just going off of memory. All has to be from the same year. Uh, is, is government, uh, you know, sort of guaranteed, if you will, of, of uh, and, and there's, it has to, you know, be distilled at a certain proof or not above a certain proof, go into the barrel at a certain proof. Yeah. Um, so there are some, there are, you know, a whole bunch of requirements. And from what I understand, it's, it was kind of, uh, you know, a way to guarantee is so much bad whiskey back in the day. Um, it was a way to kind of say, okay, here's a little bit of a government guarantee yeah. of meeting a certain threshold because especially Canadian whiskey at the time, I don't want to disparage it today. They just throw in stuff to add color, right? Anything, yeah. anything to add color, but it was pretty much just white lightning with some, you know, coloring added uh, call, and call it whiskey. So last time I was in Kentucky, um, trying to think which tour it was. So while I did tour Michter's, which I think has origins and history going back to Pennsylvania, I think it was originally a Pennsylvania distiller. It okay. went bankrupt. It was out of business for a long time. And then somebody basically bought the name and started using it in Kentucky. So some origins there. Um, yeah, Chris Burnham commented in the chat, the bottle and bond was an attempt to standardize whiskey quality. But one of the distilleries I visited, Old Forester, that's what it was. They claimed to be the first to bottle bourbon. That before you would go and basically bring your own jug and right. dip it out of a barrel or something. And um, back then, they, they, I think in the tour, they talked about how people would use, like at best, things like tobacco juice right. to darken the whiskey and make it look aged or like it had been aged longer. Or there were things that were quite, quite often poisonous, like gunpowder and other mm-hmm. things that you wouldn't want to be ingesting. So thankfully, we can trust that what we're drinking now is, is unadulterated. Yeah, and what's, what's interesting about rye is that in, in addition to rye whiskey disappearing for quite a while, for the most part, rye bread has disappeared. And so, um, you know, it used to be, you know, incredibly popular. Rye bread was just an easy bread and white bread basically put rye bread out of business. And a lot of very specific varieties of rye grain 
have essentially gone extinct. Um, and so Dad's Hat is actually working with the, I always forget if it's called the National Seed Depository, or it's basically where they, they keep seeds in case there is some type of apocalyptic event where we, uh, where we can't grow our own, where we lose our entire crops. But they have, it's like a library. They have all these different things. So they've tried a few new ones, uh, a few old ones, I should say, bringing them back. And they're a few years away from the the the, the uh, actual grains being mature enough to distill, but but they are they they are in the process of growing uh, uh, varieties of grain that have been off the market for a long long time. So mm-hmm. really looking forward to see what happens there. So how how are you hold up your glass? How how are you drinking this? This is a certain glass you normally use. So it's one of one I I I use more than anything one of my two New Orleans. So uh, or two styles of Dorland's. This is the Norland tumbler. It's the heaviest glass I've ever picked up in my life. Yeah. Um, it, it's just got this massive base, thick walls. It's got ribs on the inside and the bottom, which are going to be impossible to see mm-hmm. that are, are meant to help um, sort of agitate a bit uh, the whiskey. And so as a tumbler, this is easily my favorite. And then I also have uh, when I'm really into tasting uh, I have a the, the other New Orleans glass. I forget what it's called, but it it really I think is I, I've done side by side comparisons, and it's it it, it makes a difference. Uh, it's shaped vaguely more like this Glencairn glass. Using, yeah, right? more on the inside though. It's interesting. Inside. It's like the in there's an inside and an outside layer uh, in how it's formed, and it's it's more of an acrylic rather than a crystal. So I don't enjoy the feel in my hand as much as this. But yeah. the, the tasting experience is uh, uh, is better. Um, yeah. Chris is uh, Chris is asking what what watch I'm, I'm wearing uh, <laughs> to match the whiskey glass. So it doesn't match the whiskey glass, but I will say uh, I'm wearing a Pennsylvania made 1961 Hamilton. There you um, go. So uh, keeping it keeping it Pennsylvania um, uh, at the very least. So um, I'm not wearing a watch. I'm like totally of the phone. Check your time on the phone generation. <laughs> I wear a Fitbit occasionally. Jamie is still friends with me anyway, right? <laughs> yes, I am. Teach their own. Put on my. I enjoy I enjoy my uh, my hobbies, okay. uh, my own way. So yeah. So so that's my Pennsylvania tasting. What's your uh, What's your Florida tasting? So I'm drinking uh, a Florida. What would you guess by looking at it, Jamie? Uh, that looks like syrup. That's, that's some dark color. (laughs) Pretty dark color. Yep. So that's, that's, that's definitely some extra finishing on a, on a bourbon. Good, good call. Um, by the way, Bradley says, uh, he's got his grandfather's Hamilton. So you you get, we'll, we'll do a breakout room sometime. You guys can talk about, um, whiskey, but, uh, or watches. So this is a St. Augustine distillery port finished bourbon. So the listeners on the audio podcast don't get the benefit of looking, looking at it. But, you know, I've tried a lot of Florida whiskeys in the three plus years I've been here. This is, I mean, some of them are good. I mean, the beauty of, of whiskey is that I think you can make it well just about anywhere. I'm like mm-hmm. wine. Right. And I, th- I think this one really is my favorite. So it's 51% ABV. So it's one higher. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, then Jamie's. It's. Um, I looked up the mash bill. It's sixty percent corn, twenty-two percent malted barley. Okay. Which uh, the distillery says is somewhat unusual to use malted barley. Malted barley, of course, have more of the, the characteristics of Scotch. Where right. I think a lot of American bourbons they don't malt the bourbon. And again, I'm not a whiskey. Not themselves, expert, at least. Right. So I could be wrong on that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's eighteen percent wheat. So um, in a lot of cases, you might call this a weeded bourbon. It's been aged three years, and then it's been aged six months in port barrels from a Florida winery. It won a triple gold medal in the 2016 Micro Liquor Awards. For uh, So congratulations to them uh, for that. And, and I'm drinking it out of um, a Glencairn glass that has a little bit of kind of a pattern etched into it. So it's one of my favorite glasses. The, you know, this is one... This is one to drink neat, I think. Yeah, and I, 
there's very few in my collection that I, I don't drink neat with a little water added, um, which is how I had this. Did, did you add water to the two years? No, I, 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 no, I like it just as is. Yeah. yeah. And I typically, especially with just, you know, bourbons, I, I add, I add water a lot less frequently. Um, cause it really depends on the oils, um, and the yeah. interaction with the oils. And, and there's a lot less of that with, uh, um, uh, you know, I think a lot more with that with the scotches and, and, and the rise are probably in between at least my unprofessional experience. But, um, yeah. So, so I, I have, I've had a few, uh, port, uh, port finished, um, bourbons before actually anything, including a, a dad's hat port finished, uh, rye. Um, and I have to say, uh, it, it, it really, it really does make a difference. I don't want to say you can taste the port, but you, the profile changes in a very predictable yeah. way. I mean, it's got a sweeter profile, which I think balances the spice of the rye. Um, Angel's Envy rye is finished in port barrels. Okay. And that's a, a fantastic um, rye. But then there's one that I've had, uh, a Basil Hayden dark rye that like literally, like they, they've added a little bit of port, like the actual liquid. And, and I think that's a little bit too much. I think the port barrel is a more subtle influence. But going back to the ice cubes thing, Bradley posted that, um, I, 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 like I suspected, um, he says, I tried and tried my own experiments on clear ice and like a good lean guy. So he did experiments. Um, he used to freeze an entire igloo cooler and chip away the clear pieces. But then he finally broke down and uh, bought something called the True Cubes Clear Ice Cube Tray. He says it really works like it says in nice. the app. Yeah, I do. I do ice a little bit more in the summer, usually with a bourbon. Um, and uh, I use, I use spheres, uh, which are, which are pretty nice, but um, yeah, I haven't done a lot of that. Mostly I am quite aware that with my lack of travel, I'm actually probably drinking more. Um, so I'm trying to take more uh, <laughs> sipping pours rather than sure. drinking pours. So I always, yeah. I do tend to distinguish at the beginning of the night in my my drinking whiskey or my tasting whiskey and um, approach it, approach the two differently. Yeah. Uh, today might be a little in between. Yeah. Well, hey, so I'm going to suggest, I mean, we did have some topics lined up um, to talk about, but um, Bradley, like a good lean guy, um, is asking questions. He posted a question here. Um, curious to hear your view on lean's role in the COVID recovery. And I, I mean, I, I don't know if we're ready we're not, we're not quite in recovery. I think we're still in the middle of the crisis. So maybe, you know, there, there's a way I could try to touch on this from a healthcare perspective. Jamie, I don't know if you've been following what some of the manufacturers are doing. There, there's an interesting response out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's probably less of uh, following the news. I'm actually preparing a blog post. I don't know when it'll get out. Um, because I've been advising a lot of lean teams on how they respond internally. Um, you know, what do what do they do? Um, and so that that blog post is is coming out. But I, I certainly think that it depends on uh, whether or not your your mission is life critical. Hospitals making ventilators, testing centers, which still. Uh, I don't know why we're talking more about masks than we are about ventil about uh, testing, but we do not have control of this until we can test pretty much anybody that wants it rapidly. Right. Well, and I have read about developments. I think the one was a 45-minute test, and I think I even read today about a five-minute point-of-care test. Yes, that is that is coming online next week. It's actually approved in Detroit, start, starting in Detroit. Um, but I have no idea what the rollout plan is. They plan on 50,000 a day, which is, which is a great start. That's awesome. Um, and I think the other is, you know, from a, from a response standpoint is how do we adjust our, our processes for those that still are in key businesses, right? They're, they're, whether it's a grocery store or manufacturing toilet paper or whatever else, how do they adjust to the change, changing conditions, whether it's changes in operations, changes in demand, mm -hmm. um, 
changes in 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 uh, service consumption, right? Um, so, you know, my, my my number one advice has just been understand the, the the problems at hand and 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 focus on solving those, right? So that's been my advice. I think not knowing where all the improvements come from, you've seen an awful lot of examples of that being shared. Um, some of them are uh, very just pragmatic, not, they're not super creative. They're just, Hey, we're going to stagger our shift every two minutes. A couple more people can, can check in. Um, we're going to space out people at the, uh, at the doorway and uh, do thermometer tests and stuff like that. So there's some, some basic fundamentals um, and then others trying to reshape their production, change their, their business model to meet, uh, to meet the demand of what they're facing today. Yeah, I mean, I saw um, one company that makes uh, baseball jerseys for the retail market is instead making masks and gowns out of literally material that was going to be used to make replica fan jerseys. Um, and you know these these cloth masks are being used in hospitals these days. They don't stop COVID nineteen, but uh, apparently they're being worn over the better protective masks to help the masks last longer. Right. Um, you know there there are companies that are like so like Bauer that makes hockey equipment and helmets is now making uh, face shields mm -hmm. um, for hospitals. So it's great to see organizations that are really uh, being flexible this way to change their products and make something that's uh, that's much needed. So you've got masks and gowns, ventilators. I think all the automakers are partnering with someone to try to make ventilators. Yep. And I think the other thing that's fascinating, and, and since Jamie and I are both MIT guys, um, yeah, Chris, Chris Burnham's right. That company um, it's called Fanatics um, that, that that does the baseball jerseys. Yeah, unfortunately, it from, includes Yankees Yankees right. pinstripes. Um, so there's Philly I, pinstripes in the one picture. There's Philly and that, and uh, New York Yankees. So I guess you, you, you gotta you gotta accept uh, the good with the bad. Yeah, but it, it's a Pennsylvania company. So thank you for for pointing yep. that out, um, Chris. But um, so MIT is developed um, and they've open sourced it and there are plans available out there for people to, to get a uh, basically, so like ventilators normally cost something in the range of like a, a relatively inexpensive car, very complex, electronic, complicated machinery. There's, there's a group at MIT, it was an offshoot of a class and there was actually an effort I heard about earlier um, and I've blogged about it a hospital in Minnesota partnered with a local engineering and manufacturing company to basically put together something that, instead of trying to recreate the expensive ventilators, they're basically taking what's called an ambi bag, which it's, you know, you may have seen on a, a TV show, you squeeze it manually, EMS, EMT might be using this, but the company in Minnesota and the effort at MIT has come up with a way of, I'm trying to awkwardly illustrate this with my hands, but in the mechanical way, just squeezing that bag yep. in a way that supposedly serves as uh, a fairly effective ventilator, like, I think far better than saying, oh, it's better than nothing. So I think it's, it's fascinating to see the kind of innovation where something that's maybe $100 orders a magnitude cheaper than the traditional ventilator. So I love to see that kind of creativity, where it's, whether it's coming out of MIT or collaboration between a hospital and a manufacturing company. Yep. Yeah, and, and of course, with a ventilator, you get the sensors and the other data that you need uh -huh. to, to do it as well as possible. Um, now, now, again, look, solving problems at a systems level versus a spot level is we can have all the ventilators we want. We don't have ref respiratory therapists right. to help manage them. Right. And, and so, um, you know, we 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 have uh, we have face masks more than we have ventilators. We don't have tests. So we aren't we aren't necessarily solving it well at a systems level, but everybody's doing what they can. Um, I think just the point around I didn't even intend this, but the point around um, uh, respiratory therapists is, uh, you know, we have we have seen instances of turning you know, dermatologists into um, uh, ICU doctors, 
um, with with a with a with a worksheet basically saying here are some things to you, know, you still went to medical school, but but Chris is asking, do you have any examples of clients or companies using TWI job safety, which I think is an interesting um, sort of twist on on this because a lot of people's work are changing is changing one way or the other. Now, yes, that's happening a lot in healthcare right now. Happening, happening a ton in healthcare. You also have nurses coming back. Um, I saw a friend in Malaysia who just posted 3,000 nurses just came out of retirement, um, which is, you know, it depends on how long you retired, how, lo- how much retraining you're going to need um, right. and how much you're going to get. Right? So you, you do need, and I've, I've made this argument, you know, even in, even in companies take this out of, uh, I had this conversation to this morning, take it out of healthcare. Uh, you might have an IT group at a company that can't do much with their SAP stuff, but uh, their their collaboration tools with everybody working from home need needs more support. So, can you take three resources from uh, from one team and move them over to the other very quickly and 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 adjust? And so, well, and, and there's some of that happening in healthcare where um, clinics are being closed down. Operating rooms are being shut down um, to, to free up resources and supplies uh, for for the ICU and for COVID patients. But there are opportunities to redeploy people uh, within healthcare that way as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, so there, there's there's a lot of change happening right now. Um, you know, TWI to Chris's question would be a great way to help train people up. Like not bring someone in off the street, but right. to, to laterally sort of transfer within healthcare. There are nursing journal articles going back to the mid 1940s about TWI or training within industry being used to train new nurses and to train um, people in healthcare. Uh, Patrick Grout from the uh, TWI Institute put out a really good video where he was using TWI methods to train his teenage daughter how to do proper hand washing. Mm-hmm. You know, point out the key points of why you should uh, wipe your hands for 20 seconds and why you should wipe in certain ways. There, there are big opportunities to use TWI or lean methods. But I think the one concern I have about what's going on in healthcare is that everyone gets in the crisis mode and they fall back to what they're familiar with, which might be sort of top down executives in a conference room writing protocols approach instead of engaging uh, frontline staff. And they might say, well, they might say, oh, the frontline staff are too busy. Well, I'm sure you can find some people who are represented as a frontline staff to help develop some of these new processes. Because I've, I've heard, unfortunately, examples where things didn't seem to be well thought through. And you know, if that's the case, that's where Kaizen comes into play to help people adjust as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I think, um... We'll definitely see that. Now, some of that's based on, um, again, another conversation I've had is simply uh, you might have you might have actually changed from sitting in a conference room to going out and observing, but now you're on a stay-at-home work order, right? Um, and so another conversation I've had is how do you do direct observation or go to the Gemba in this environment? And... Um, you know, I think there are solutions from from posted cameras that you can watch to uh, you know streaming from the person at the point of activity. Um, I mean, we used to do videotaping of long activities back in the early to mid '90s, right? So, so there's ways to do this, and and I think I think that's the number one aspect around these things is you know requires a uh, an approach to say, what is the problem? How can we solve it? Not, not can we, or can't we, right? That's like the wrong question to ask is how can we, and that includes these things. Now, um, this is where, again, if I were, it's, it's super hard to do because you're still 10 nurses short or hundred nurses short, but if you have new nurses coming in, you take your, either your best nurse or your second best nurse, second best nurse, and you use them to, to, to do the training of the inbound resources so that you have less variation and more capability with those additional resources. Um, you know, maybe you, maybe you keep the best nurse at, at 
point of activity to do the troubleshooting of the complex problems, but at least use your second best nurse to do that training within industry methodology to get the resources up to speed with a minimum amount of variation. And you mentioned having to work remotely. I think that's been a big challenge for a lot of hospitals where, so it's for their own health and safety that the internal process improvement people have been told to stay at home, to work from home. Yep. And that creates a lot of challenges of how do you stay engaged with people? Um, how do you try to help facilitate process design or process improvement from a, a remote standpoint? It's possible, but I think it's also possible that the people who are actually at the hospital still in crisis mode um, are, are trying to uh, be heroes and the lean people might be at home Re, you know, developing training or learning or doing things that aren't bad, but might not be contributing as they, 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 they possibly could to the actual crisis that's right in front of us. Yep. Yep. And there, again, there has to be a, an effective way to do that. Um, and uh, you can't push all of it off down the road. Um, so we do have another question that um, I think relates to this, right? Cause you talk about, uh, you know, what the lean resources are doing during this time if they can't be directly engaged. And there's, I've talked with know, eight, eight, 10 groups in the last two weeks, and it's, it's all over the map about how engaged they are, but, but almost none of them are at the point of activity right now. Right? That, that's, that's for sure. And I think mm -hmm. that's best. But, but one of the questions is, will the crisis naturally help companies to develop lean putting companies in a tough position? Do you think it is possible some companies might adopt, create some lean? Um, and I, I, I think that's interesting. Um, I look back at, I look back at 2001, I look back at 2009, um, and especially 2009, what tended to happen was companies that weren't already serious dropped out of it, right? They closed up their, their lean teams and laid people off, laid people off and cut their resources the ones that were already really committed said, hey, let's use those resources over here. Um, I do think we'll see some natural lean, right? Just the, the creativity and problem solving. I think we'll see some of that, um, but I don't think it'll lead to anything terribly lasting. I think some companies will get more focused on their purpose, oh, yeah. on their culture, on their way of working, coming out of this, they'll be more committed with what they have left. Others will be scrambling and doing whatever they can to survive and, and they won't be productive actions. Usually they'll just be, they'll be panicky, uh, panicky steps. Yeah. Um, so I do think you'll see a change, but I, I think you'll see some strengthen, some weaken or disappear. Yeah. I mean, to answer Bradley's question, I mean, it's possible, but I think if you go back even further, Looking at Toyota, I want to come back and touch on something else uh, Bradley asked about, commented about Toyota. Uh, in Japan, post-World War II, and even Japan today, not every company is Toyota. So, I mean, we, you know, we said, well, people should use lean. Well, there's a long history where we could say that and it hasn't um, necessarily been the case. So, yeah, some organizations will rise to the challenge. Um, and, and they'll respond in different ways. But, you know, coming back to what Bradley posted, if I, I did look this up um, earlier today, um, Bradley mentions that he saw Toyota is using their people to do charity work. Haven't heard much about them doing training or improvements, but I know many companies are laying people off. So when, when Toyota shut down for two weeks, at least I'd read about this in, in Kentucky, um, Toyota made clear that nobody was being laid off, that people were going to be paid during that production downtime. Which, so it's a combination. People probably aren't out buying cars in the middle of this. And there's the health and safety concerns. Um, but Toyota has a long and, and I think admirable track record of not laying off full-time employees when they've been in a production downturn, going back to 2009, Going back to when the tsunami hit, which was what, 2014? It knocked some yep. suppliers offline in Japan. And at that time, Toyota and GM were both um, 
forced to shut down production. GM put people, employees on short-term layoff. Toyota said, no, we're going to pay people. And, and, and they had that commitment. And I remember at the time, both GM and Toyota had basically the same amount of money in the bank. So you mm -hmm. couldn't make the case that post-bankruptcy GM, well, although GM couldn't afford it. I right. think there's a difference in culture and, and arguably that's one manifestation of the respect for people approach. Yep. And confidence. I think that's the other aspect. It's not just, I think, you know, it's, it's a byproduct of it, but it's the ability to control your destiny, right? And the ability to manage your, yourself, manage your resources, solve the problems in front of you, even if you don't know what the next one is. I think when you don't have confidence in your ability to do that, Mm -hmm. then you, you're more likely to panic. When you do have confidence in your capabilities as a whole company, you're, you're more willing to see your way through it. And, and I think we're going to see some of that, particularly in the smaller company world in the coming months, is um, you know, we, we have these loans coming out uh, from, from the government. Uh, that now they're announced, right? Nobody, I don't think anybody's gotten any money yet. And uh, I've, I've done some research on this where on average, even the express loans that SBA offered, which could be approved in 36 hours, still took up to a month for a bank to decide to give you the money. And that was before we had a hundred fold increase in demand um, right. to a thousand fold increase. Right. I mean, every, every small business is, is analyzing right now. I have, I have five emails from various accountants who are doing webinars in the next two days about, you know, how do you get your money? So no way this money comes out soon. The, qu the question then is, do companies have the confidence in their ability to come back or to survive, um, to bother hanging on to their people? Um, you know, whether they have the cash or not, you know, you, you do, you do what you need to do, right? I have no problems with people that are making the choice between reduced hours and pay plus healthcare in order to survive, right? But it's that's still the decision of confidence in you and your ability as a company to come back. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think uh, we'll see a lot of this. Um, Kevin Miller and I were kind of joking online about uh, Kevin Meyer. Kevin Meyer, yeah. Sorry um, about the you know the the business roundtable had announced last last year um, that. Business is not just about profit, it's about all stakeholders, right? And it, and it feels like the universe just said, okay, prove it, <laughs> right. right? And this, yeah. is, this is companies' chance to prove it, right? It's not, not why we have this, but, but in the end, there'll be companies that their culture is stronger because they did prove it, um, and their employees saw that. And we, we saw that in companies in 2009 where, um, you know, people left because they thought the company was small or whatever, but then they were the ones helping employees out where others weren't. And those people came back and stayed, right? Because, because of what happened there. So, yeah. So I need to do some research. It'll be interesting to see if the uh, Detroit automakers respond the way they usually do, which is laying people off. Tesla was an interesting case. I want to see what, what they've decided, but they really fought Alameda County for days, the Alameda County had a shelter in place order, non-essential businesses have to shut down. Like um, auto repair, auto parts, I imagine more like your, um, you know, your auto bot, uh, you know, car repair shops were considered essential service. And, and Tesla apparently interpreted car assembly as being an essential service, which is, is mm -hmm. debatable. Okay, wait a minute, is that really what the law meant? And so then they finally announced after a lot of pressure and visits from the Alameda Sheriff, all right, we're going to shut down, but it's going to take four days. Like they produced over the weekend. And I'm going to ask you, Jamie, uh, like, does it really take four days to shut down an auto plant in a controlled way? No, no, <laughs> not at all. I think so. it, it takes, and I'll, I'll be honest with this, because I, you know, I, I was running one um, and, and we had a uh, suspect power system. And we occasionally got shut down unplanned and that was not an orderly way. And, you know, half the robots forget where they are and, and yeah. it takes hours and hours to get back up to speed. But basically uh, we asked for sort of some advanced warning 
and within 15 minutes, we could mm-hmm. shut down in an orderly way. Um, now, not in an optimized way, mm-hmm. not in a way that preserved cash, like we don't have any parts in the building we don't need. Right. We could do it in 15 minutes. Um, if, if we say, if we got the notice, we could say, okay, put everything where it needs to be, get everybody where they need to be, get all the systems orderly, and then flip the switch and you're, you're down. And yeah. it's really not that hard. Um, it's complicated, but it's really not that hard. So yeah, um, the, the, the critics were saying that Elon Musk was just trying to squeeze every last bit of production out the door. They just launched the Model Y. So this is a yeah. particularly bad time. I think I saw my first Model Y actually in the parking garage of our condo building okay. earlier today. So I guess somebody was taking delivery of a new vehicle during this time. Somebody, somebody must have. I'm not, I've not consumed a lot of miles on any of my cars. So it, it's... Um, yeah, that I don't know his motivation, and I'm not going to pretend to guess. But there's no. no way they needed four days to shut down. That that I know for sure. So I have another question here. Um, Chris sort of uh, pointed at me, but let's see what you think about metrics here, Jamie. He was asking, "Do you have any views on how we're managing the COVID outbreak from a metrics perspective? Are we looking at the right data in the right way and responding appropriately?" So I've, I've got a couple first thoughts on that. For one. Anytime you see a chart or a number on the TV screen or somewhere that says number of cases, you should translate that in your head. This is the engineer in me gets really pedantic and specific. That really means the number of cases confirmed by laboratory testing. Mm-hmm. So we know the number of cases is much higher than the number of cases confirmed by testing. So that's the first um, data integrity measurement error problem. But then I think the second thing that always irritates me is when, uh, let's say CNN, it almost starts looking like Sports Center, where they're putting stats and scores on screen and you see a single number or you see a couple of like just snapshot instantaneous moments. How many cases worldwide? How many deaths worldwide? How many cases in the US? How many deaths in the US? And I think back to what um, you know, my mentor um, Don Wheeler would say. You know, data without context have no meaning. Or we could even add a corollary that says, you know, one data point is not a trend. We say, well, the number of cases is up this much from yesterday. Well, two data points is not a trend. But when you draw a run chart and you see that terrifying exponential curve, I think as always, like a chart with many, many data points tells us much more than one or two data points ever could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, so So my my answer to this is a little different in the sense, you know, again, I pointed at you because you have the book on metrics, um, but uh, which is back there in the background since we are on video now. Um, but, but my answer on this is really about not are we, but who, there we go. Um, but who is using the metrics, right? So, so to me, that's the main point. I, I am not just confident in my mathematical skills. I'm cocky about my mathematical skills. And yet I did go to MIT, but I was cocky before that. Um, really high too. Well, I'll do that. I was, it was before that too. And my <laughs> professor used to claim you can, you know, he taught calculus for a living. You cannot do calculus in your head. I kept proving him wrong. He did not like that, but, sure, um, but, it, but, but fundamentally I, despite my confidence in my mathematical skills, I do not try to draw conclusions by looking at world meter right? I do not because there's so much more nuance in building mathematical models. There's so many more variables, testing, uh, testing rates, uh, underlying conditions, uh, hospital utilization rates, localization rates, concentration rates. There's a thousand one variables to model anything this complex. And, and so I, I, I listen to when the scientists and the mathematicians say some of the same things then I have a little more confidence in that. But in the end, besides how much whiskey to drink each night, what's the data informing me of anyway? So, so I get some bad news about the data. What do I do? The data is the clear. Shelter in place. 
There's no other conclusion that 99.99% of Americans, let's just assume those are the ones listening, need to make based on the data. So stop, you know, I don't want to say stop looking at the data. It's interesting. It's good to be informed. Same reason you watch the news. I have no problems with any of that. It doesn't mean you should draw conclusions from any of it, right? Uh, people have to craft the mathematical models and the data to suit their needs. And if they're in a position of making decisions right now, again, I'm not in a, in a position of making decisions. Um, I am, I am home. <laughs> I'm not leaving. Um, and so the data is good one day and bad the next. And other than, you know, a little emotional adjustment, that's it. Yeah. So I, I, I do, I do believe, and I, I believe this wholeheartedly because I, I, I see this on Facebook and LinkedIn and other places. We should all stop making amateur conclusions based on a couple of data points that we yeah. read in the paper or that we see online or that we look on Worldometer or something like that. We've just got to stop. I would extend that point to say anybody who's a leader in any workplace, please stop making amateur assessments based off of one or two data points in your workplace as well. Yes, which is, if if not the thesis of your book, yeah. one of them. But here, I'm going to show since on, on video here. You thought this was my book in the background, right? I did. It was way too far away, though. Right. So actually, it's something we bought at a local farmer's market. So here, here's here's the book again. Gratuitous plug measures of success. This is not as shiny. Oh, there you go. If you think good engineering is costly and time consuming, try bad engineering. <laughs> Which bad data management uh, does I mean, some of the same problems. Yeah, I mean, I, would, I could extend the same thought to the new process development that's happening in crisis mode at hospitals and clinics to deal with COVID-19. If you think good process design is costly and time consuming, try bad process design. Yep. My reminder hanging up here in, um, in the office is kind of old timey looking sign, but I can see why you thought at a distance, why they, why they looked similar enough. I didn't. Yeah, I, th I think it was just the color scheme uh, uh, through me and, and perhaps an assumption that you're, you know, in your Dallas office, I'm used to seeing your, your, right. uh, um, your book covers behind you uh, up on the wall, which is. You have a, that in the background there. A nice right. touch. I have one. I have one way, way, way back there. So Hitchhiker's Guide on Hitchhiker's, your, uh, your shelf. Hitchhiker's Guide's way back there, but that's as close as you can see. And what's that say on your uh, your whiteboard? That well, says cheers, cheers with my my 15-second version of a whiskey glass uh, with some, some whiteboard markers. So That's good. Um, keep seeing this this whiteboard over my head when I'm on video calls and uh, uh, thought thought it could use a message or two from now. From now yeah, and, and you use that when you do training videos, or right? You yeah, I, I, I well, I use it for training videos occasionally, um, but honestly, I use it more myself for my own purposes. I oh, really okay. I, I like when I'm thinking big thoughts, when I'm working on big stuff. I I like big paper uh, to brainstorm on. I, I believe the constraint of paper should not be, or a screen should contain our ideas. So. When I'm working on something big, I, I use that. Um, the other uh, the other time I use it, I do have some meetings here occasionally, not right now. Um, but I, you know, I always do best with a whiteboard in the room, and so uh, uh, so here in my office, I, you know, as soon as I built this, one of the first things that needed to go up was a whiteboard. So yeah, it's come in handy uh, for multiple purposes. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to suggest maybe one last topic before we, we wrap up and we don't have a hard cutoff. It's not like YouTube runs out of storage space, but people have been with us almost an hour and, and thank you for, uh, for being part of this experiment. But one thing we we're going to talk about was, you know, we're, we're now home a lot more. And like when we're traveling, sometimes funny things happen. But um, Jamie, maybe I'll ask you to, uh, to go first. What, what funny thing has happened to you during this quarantine, stay at home, shelter in place environment? Yeah, so so, uh, and I'm not sure it always happens to me. Um, my my life has been pretty blessed, honestly. I have 
uh, enough space to spread out in. My nearest neighbor is a couple hundred yards away. When I go for a walk, I can see, you know, nice horizons. You know, my life is honestly pretty damn nice relative to what other people are suffering through. But, but, but having everybody here all the time, and, and especially with multiple weeks with no school to do, in addition to the inability to leave, um, are, you know, are finding ways to be entertained, knowing that we would be together for a long time has been the challenge. Uh, some of it has been a challenge of aligning up moods, right? So now I'm in the mood for a movie. Well, I'm not. I'm in the mood to do this. I'm not. So it hasn't always worked. Um, but uh, our, our, our living room is now a four. is uh, design build-offs, right? So they get, and, um, uh, yeah. and so we've enjoyed that show. I'm not entirely sure why I don't enjoy a lot of those reality shows, but it's been fun. It's just a lot of guns, right? It's, it's pretty cool stuff. So we've decided to have a family competition. Um, so we're three rounds into it. Every Saturday we've had uh, two-hour builds. Uh, we did Monsters the first round. We did Architecture the second. We did Cars the third. And everybody in the family, we have all the kids' Legos apart in one room. We're building in another. And we have a design, co- we have a build competition. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty intense. It's two hours of focused building. And then we judge each other. Wow. And we have a running tally wow. to see how everybody's doing. And it's not something I ever thought we would do. But we've so far consumed about six hours with this. And, and we're already planning for next weekend. So I, um, I, I had some internet problems because maybe too many people were starting to stream shows like Lego Masters uh, <laughs> um, on the internet. But uh, I'll go back and listen to the recording and, and hear the whole, the whole story, Jamie. <laughs> um, but one other thing, you know, you, you talked about, and we're, we're, we're both blessed and, and fortunate um, and it's good to recognize that. But uh, I was going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot, Jamie, because you, you had posted an offer online to, to help others. And I, I thought I'd ask you to share that here in uh, the podcast. Yeah, well, I've actually made two specific offers. One is my, my online training. So I have a private platform that I do video training through that I normally sell company subscriptions for them to use as they want. So I've made the offer that anyone can sign up for two free courses, uh, basically during the the length of this this crisis so that they can educate themselves while they're at home. Um, So we had so many people take us up on that, that we've had to increase our subscription for the number of users. um, And I'm happy to do that. So, so that's one offer I've made. The other, which I've been glad people have taken me up on is, Small businesses are struggling. Uh, average days on hand of cash is 28 days for a small business. Um, and so I, I've offered to provide just whatever advice I can uh, help them think through how to either survive or set themselves up for the long term through this crisis. And, and that's free of charge as well. And so I've had uh, several people take me up on that. And uh, uh, hard conversations because they're usually pretty fairly dire, but uh, hopefully productive conversations, and that that all certainly extend for the duration of this crisis as well. Well, thank you for offering that. And then if someone's watching or listening, how do you suggest they reach out to you? They can find you on LinkedIn. They, they can, and I'll I'll put um yeah I'll put a post uh, up a link to the post about the free training. Um, but either through the jflinch.com website or directly on LinkedIn uh, for either one of those yeah. is fine. Okay. And you know, one, one thing I've been trying to do um, next week, I'm going to be starting a book club uh, around my book measures of success. And I, I think at this point that may be full for the size of being able to do an interactive um, group, but I, I would invite anybody if uh, you, if you've been reading the book and you have, questions or if you want any sort of coaching 
around process behavior charts, feel free to reach out. Um, we'd, we'd love to help if that means reviewing a chart or two or, or talking through your application of this. You can also contact me through the markraven.com website or just email me mark at markraven.com. That, that's, that's one thing I've been trying to do. Yeah, and the other the other thing that you've done, which I think is great, um, it was interesting to see how aligned everybody was in some of their thinking, was offering sort of a support group for the independent lean consultants out there. Um, and you're far more, far more connected to that community than I am. Um, but you've had a couple of uh, lean coffee chats with people that are are independent lean consultants out there uh, working, trying to trying to make a living uh, doing this. Now, for the most part, although we've heard some exceptions to this that were largely just fortuitous in their design, um, but but most most people are reduced, if not shut down, um, in their work. And um, there's a lot of people that are sort of independent resources, and whether they're artists or chefs or lean consultants that are. You know they're not unemployed, but they're not working like they used to, and and so you you've supported yeah. that with a a bit of a support group for uh, in, engaging and talking about well, how we how we manage our way through that. Yeah, and we um, you know we've done a couple of uh, Zoom group chats with a small group, and the one thing I would invite to anybody watching or listening is on LinkedIn. I started a group with the same name, uh, Independent Consultants Stuck at Home. And that group on LinkedIn is not limited to lean consultants because there are a lot of people in adjacent fields or different fields who are in that same situation where we can't travel, we can't go to our clients, we might be able to do a little bit, but it's been a big drop off uh, in revenue. So that um, is something that hopefully helps people make new connections and um, learn from each other. But before we wrap up, can I tell my, can I tell my Yeah, funny tell your story? funny story and then we'll, we'll close it on out. And I should have brought this uh, this dang trash can in here to, <laughs> to show visualize or recreate the moment. But in our kitchen, we've got one of these uh, trash cans. We bought it at Costco where it's hands free. You wave your hand and it goes and the, the black plastic lid goes up and then a timer and the lights blink down and then it closes. So I was making eggs one morning and my wife would have loved to actually have witnessed this. She would have laughed. Rightfully so. So I was making I was making some eggs. So I cracked one egg into a bowl and went to go throw the egg away. So you got egg on your hand. You just kind of wave your elbow and it goes. Zoop. I threw the egg in the trash can, and that stays up for this period of time. And then I cracked the second egg, and I go to throw the egg in the trash can, and sure enough, zoop, as I, right as I'm throwing the egg, the lid goes down. It blocks my shot. It probably you know would have given me a Matumbo finger wave. <laughs> And so then, because there was a gap between the trash can and the counter, I go down to pick up this eggshell, which is now on the ground. As I lean over the trash can, here's my head, and the, the lid goes, apparently I triggered the sensor. <laughs> and it goes up and it smacks me in the head. So thankfully, it's a fairly light piece of plastic. Yes. <laughs> Still. I, I, First, for, for a very split second, I was mad at the trash can, and then I saw the humor. Of I, I, I can, I can, I can see being mad at the trash can, but uh, <laughs> I do, I do like to be able to control my appliances uh, of my own free will. So, never had a, you know, I think Bruce Hamilton and Toast Kaizen. We've never had a toaster smack us in the head. Not yet, not yet. It might be coming. Well, this was uh, oh. this was fun. Um, again, we were going to do a lean whiskey anyway, so uh, we at least got the technology right. Um, it seems to have worked, and we had people chatting and providing us some. We questions. had viewers. We had a non-zero number of viewers. We had a non-zero number of questions, and 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 zero other than perhaps one bandwidth glitch, which we probably would have had anyway. Uh, zero technology yeah. failures. So that's a, that, that's a win uh, in its own right, because even our old method, we've, we've suffered from some of that. So I knew that I knew that was the biggest risk. And thankfully, it was like 55 minutes into the episode before that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, thank you to, to people who tuned in or people who might be watching or listening to the recording. 
Uh, well, we'll, 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 I guess like with any experiment, we'll evaluate, is this worth doing again, right? Absolutely. Well, we always will. We'll put you on the spot, but we'll, we'll figure that out. Um, but, you know, I do want to in, uh, invite people, you know, this is our 15th episode. So if you want to catch up on any of the other previous episodes, last time Jamie and I talked about the idea of not blaming just in time for supply chain problems. We were really at the time thinking about manufacturing supply chains. Now it's sadly the healthcare supply chains. Yep. But you can find past episodes uh, through my website. You can go and enter leanwhiskey.com into your browser. You can spell whiskey either the uh, the Canadian style or the Scotch style or the American Scott style. Uh, whiskey with a K-E-Y or a K-Y at the end. You can also go directly to leanblog.org slash leanwhiskey, which you do have to spell K-E-Y. I'm going to jot that down. I need to fix that so you can spell it both ways. And Jamie, uh, on your website? Yep, jflinch.com uh, slash leanwhiskey. Um, so I, I would invite you, uh, hopefully if you enjoy the content. I mean, if you don't like the whiskey talk, you can always kind of skip through the first 10 or 15 minutes of the episode. Um, there's a Venn diagram of people who are interested in both lean and whiskey. And we're catching that small intersection. Yeah, it might right? be bigger than you think, but we are catching that intersection. Yeah. We have a non-zero number of listeners each time. But we, we would ask you to uh, subscribe to us either through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Yeah, and please do rate us, review us, um, subscribe. Uh, it really does help us. I, I think those that know us know that we, we try to be lean thinkers. We certainly practice continuous improvement, and so the feedback alone is always very valuable and helps other people find the podcast as well. So we appreciate any of those, uh, any of those actions. Yeah. So with that, I guess we, we can hold our glasses up to the video. Absolutely. Give kind of a virtual clink. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you.